there's a phrase that I follow, a mantra that I have, and it's based off of a pretty common phrase, but there, there's a common phrase we've heard, fake it till you make it. And my mm-hmm. whole mentality has been make it till you make it. I right. love Right, right. Right. Like we can all bullshit. We can all kind of look like we know what we're doing. And that's good for maybe confidence building in the beginning. But you really need to hone in and and actually make the work and you make the mistakes, blah, 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 all that stuff. But and also it's a volume thing. Like you make a thousand TikToks, one of them is probably gonna pop off. Podcast. I'm here, Tanuke Oyefule, co-hosting with Ali Nerthen, and we are so excited to bring to our virtual stage David William Ma, one of my favorite people <laughs> on the planet. Put your whole name out there. <laughs> and he is joining us to share some insight with us, some perspectives on how he has built this amazing world that he brings to life in so many different forms. But why don't you tell us, Dima, how do you introduce yourself to folks? Let our listeners know who you are. Hi, my name is David. I am a 34-year-old commercial director and food artist. I'm happy to be here on the podcast. We are so happy to have you. We are so excited. So, so excited. I personally, and Allie as well, have known David for over 10 years. <laughs> yeah, since like freshman year. For a long time, since freshman Woo. year of college at Syracuse, and I've watched you on your journey, grow, become, thrive, evolve, and just create these incredible movements and everything from Syracuse to Creative Circus to Boston to New (laughs) York to LA. And you do these things and weave them seamlessly and you bring people together to create the visions that you see in your mind. And I've just been moved and amazed since we sang together years ago. (laughs) So. I think folks who are listening would really benefit from hearing how you started out and the angles and turns that you took to get to where you are today. So I guess when we were studying at school, did you imagine that you'd find yourself here doing this? And what are some of the twists that the big twists that got you here from there? Sure. So, you know, when we were back in school, I was studying marketing and advertising, a little bit of journalism. And, you know, I kind of wanted to work in media, but it really came down to wanting to be an advertising creative uh, when I graduated. And I did that for seven or eight years after school, but found that I just wasn't exactly hitting what I wanted to do. Um, I felt like I was spending 80 to 90 hours a week making other people's brands famous. Like, thinking of ideas for corporations. And I have no problem with that. Like I love capitalism in that sense. Like it's fun (laughs) to make commercials and it's fun to make art out of commercials. But, and then at some point now I work as in film and I work as a director on set. And I did not think that that was something I'd be doing. It, It wasn't something that I really considered a viable direction or career for me 
at least back in school. And something changed where I felt I saw this opportunity with film and I saw that I had been building essential skills for the last seven years to do what I do now. And it wasn't something that I realized right away, but a series of weird events brought me to get job offers to work as a director. And I thought I'd go try it and I fell in love with it. And at the heart of it, the cliche saying is you have to love what you do, but I think it goes a bit beyond that. There's an insane amount of sick dedication that goes into making things happen. And I will tell you, and Nukes, you know this, I'm not a very disciplined person by nature. <laughs> I work off you of- You are hardworking. <laughs> I am hardworking, but I work off of highs. Mm. And that was something that like, like, I work off the things that give me energy, the people that give me life, the things that like bring my idea. I figured out very early on, what are the things that excites me? And it's one, working with a group of people and bringing them together to create something very unique that's our own. The second thing was creating something that would be talked about by people who didn't even know me. And the third thing was basically being able to create things and get paid for it. Like I wanted Mm. to make money. And I think that that's an important thing. There's no shame in wanting to make a living and also make art at what you do. And that was kind of what I wanted to do at the time. But the series of events was I quit my job in advertising. I hired six people to go shoot these short films that I had this idea to make. I put my entire savings that I had into it. It was like $23,000 and we shot four days. I didn't even know what a gaffer was. For anyone who's listening, a gaffer is somebody who lights the set and everything else for anyone who doesn't know. But that was scary and fun and insane. And then after those videos were released, we got tens of millions of views online. I found an agent and a manager and I got signed to a production company. And that was three and a half years ago. And during this time, also, I saw, and sorry, I'm probably going to go on some long things here, but at the time, I also saw an opportunity with social media and the fact that I never had an agent before. I was always acting as my own agent. I was doing projects before I got into film just to get my name out there and have people know that, know me, but not just know my name, but know that I did a very specific thing. Going into film, I could have been a music video director. I could have tried to be a car commercial director. I could have done sports. I could have done modeling. I mean, there's so many expressions of film and I chose to go into something really weird and niche, which was cinematic food. And at the time when I got into food, it was only two things. It was like there was top-down recipe videos from BuzzFeed. And on the other side, you had slow motion chef's table. And I wanted to come in and make food that was fun and interesting and flew through the air and wasn't just sitting on tables. And I saw an opportunity to to create something unique. And the reason I say that is if you're going to go into to start that thing or to start your dream, try to be very hyper-focused on what that can be and super specific because it allows you to get known for doing that one thing really well. And then you can expand and extrapolate once you like learn that core skill. That is so cool. I have to say like, that's part of the reason you're here today is because we've known you one for so long, but we knew this version of you. Like there's nothing cooler than seeing this new version of you and being able to have you here explain how you got there. Because we all had this moment graduating college where like, I don't know what I'm doing. What are you doing? I don't know. Where are you going? I don't know. You just like took it by the horns and just like went with it. And it's so cool. I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. Thanks. Truly. I think you hit on something really important, which is that moment when it's when our backs are kind of against the wall and it's that 
like, what the fuck do I do moment? I have a degree, I have friends, and now I'm supposed to go out and find a job. And I wasn't very clear on exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew that there was a place for creativity and making things. And I would do that one thing until I learned that thing and moved to the next thing. Mm. And I feel like the goals also, like, remember our goals back in senior year? Like, it's so funny how hyper-focused we were on passing this class or getting through this course. And now your goals are like, how can I pay my rent? And like, <laughs> like, why am I unhappy in the thing that I'm doing? Or how can I get that promotion? And it's important to keep continually realign the goals, I think, and, and think about what your definition of success is. Because, you know, success is, could be a material thing where it's like, I want to have a house, I want to have a family, and I want to have cars, I want to do it by this time. But this, the version of success that we don't, or the other version of success is, I want to be known for doing this thing. But the first version of success or definition of success that not a lot of people listen to is, I wanted to do this thing that was really hard considering where I came from or from what my life experience was, or like pretty remarkable that I did X, Y, Z, given that my path was ABC. And I think that's a version that we don't acknowledge enough and something that I've learned with just with the pandemic to kind of think about. And it's not cutting yourself slack necessarily. But you can go off the material things for success. That's a motivator for some people. You can go off of, well, I'm, I'm well known and I'm notorious and, and just like I'm a household name for doing this. And that can be success. But to truly internalize and not that let that feeling of achievement be determined by an audience or by material things and instead intrinsically for you. It was is a big thing that I'm still figuring out and something I'm trying to acknowledge. But I think that that's something worth thinking about when we just at the, at the heart of when we define what success is. I very much agree. I mean, when you say your path becomes one thing and was expected to be another, do you mean like expectations that society had for you or like your family, like your community? Yeah, it could be society. It could be what your mom and dad wanted you to be. It could be what you thought you were supposed right. to be. Right. And I tried not to get too locked into what the business card says. Mm -hmm. And I was more concerned about what my work was. What was the thing that people would see like a, that was a demonstration of my craft, not necessarily how many slashes I could get on my Instagram bio or what I could write on my business card. I didn't want them to know me as one thing. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to maintain a lot of the ideation and the creativity that I learned working as an advertising creative. But I also wanted to being known as this artist who created compelling cinematic visuals out of a banana. <laughs> and those are really weird things to try and fit into one, but you don't have to be one thing to yourself or to anybody else either. <laughs> like I said, and I'm going to say a lot of things that'll contradict each other. Like earlier, I was like, you want to be known for specificity <laughs> and, and going into something, but it's more about having it demonstrating an extreme knowledge in that particular facet or like that really small niche. And then all the other skills kind of just round themselves out because you, through jobs and crews and different people, you work on different things and, and your skills grow and your interests grow. Right. So real. I guess what I want to know, and you kind of focused in on a, a lot of great points about finding something specific and getting really good at it and building knowledge about that particular thing. As you were on your journey, did you find that like, the specific thing was always there. Did you have to find it? And once you kind of found that thing, how did you know? Because some people would be petrified to say, 
hey, let me just get my friends, pour all the money I've ever saved into this thing and just hope it'll work. I yeah. like watched you until like the crazy hours, <laughs> sending emails, not sleeping. Emailing you weird ideas at four in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Building, I watched you build. So it's like, and I, I sit in amazement and like, I believe in my friends. My friends are going to do anything. My friends are bad as shit. But it's also like yeah. when you're in the driver's seat, it can be terrifying. So how did you say, how did you know that, okay, this is the thing I'm going to do. It's very different from something I've done before, but it's the thing that I must, I have to do. And I'm going to go in that direction. How did you know where did, did the opportunity come to you? So I was, this is a going pretty far back, but I remember watching this interview with Jim Carrey when I was in my senior year and we were all living together. And he, he talks about the story about his dad and his dad was somebody who was a family man. Like they weren't rich. They were very lower to middle class, similar to like how my family was when we were brought up like middle class. And he talked about how his dad worked for decades as an accountant or something. And he just did that for decades. His dad could have been a comedian. He was like, my dad was sharp. He was witty. He had everyone just talking and all the time. And one day his dad was laid off. He was just laid off one day all of a sudden, and suddenly they were fighting to make ends meet and blah, blah, blah. And what Jim Carrey took away from that story, which is really interesting, was that you can spend your whole life working hard, giving every ounce of your blood and sweat to something that you don't love, and you can still fail at it. So you might as well work at the thing that you do love. He told it a lot more elegantly than I did, but that's basically the gist of it. And that was kind of a guiding North star for me as far as how that was going to go. Yeah. I guess like I'm trying to hone in on the moment you were like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. It's, is it something that you kind of figured out ahead of time or did it kind of reveal itself over time to you? And when you made that shift, like how you jumped in fully, how did you know to jump in fully? I didn't. And there's a phrase that I follow a mantra that I have, and it's based off of a pretty common phrase, but there, there's a common phrase we've heard, fake it till you make it. And my mm -hmm. whole mentality has been make it till you make it. I right. love Right, right. Right. Like yeah. We can all bullshit. We can all kind of look like we know what we're doing. And that's good for maybe confidence building in the beginning, but you really need to hone in and, and actually make the work and you make the mistakes, blah, 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 all that stuff. But, and also it's a volume thing. Like you make a thousand TikToks one of them is probably going to pop off for any <laughs> yeah. of the younger listeners. Or you make 10 short films, 10th one's probably going to be a lot better than your first. So it's, it's repetition numbers game. But then came the real problem, Nukes. And, I, and when I told the story of how things changed and evolved, I, I said it very off the cuff and kind of gave it very quickly. But like my anxiety was through the roof when I switched. And I'm a very anxious person just in general. And Basically, what fueled me before was not wanting to be embarrassed and going back to my old job. It was fear of failing at directing and having to go back to advertising, which don't get me wrong, I love doing, but I knew it would always be there. And I didn't want to end up in a situation where I was looking back and wishing I had done something different per Jim Carrey's dad's advice. <laughs> so yeah, I think that and then once I had that courage to be disliked, I mean, now it's a whole different way to operate compared to having your back against the wall and feeling like you have to do this thing. It's do or die. And that's how I operated for the last seven years before the last three, which isn't like a fun way to live. 
but it got stuff done. So whatever your motivators are, some of us are masochists. I don't know. I wish we had that book senior year. I feel like right? we pay all the money for school. Yeah. And they teach you jack squat. They just, it's like, here's business of film, business of TV. Here's yeah. how to use a camera, but they don't tell you like the stuff that's going to literally stress you out to the point where you don't even want to be social. Like, I wish they would just be more clear. Like, here's how you manage your money. You know, this, you're going to get rejected a lot. Yeah. Here's how to write a cover letter. Here's how to do yeah. your taxes, you know, any of that stuff. That is so crucial because, I mean, if you want to be get- fair, I would have failed at that too. <laughs> if I took <laughs> intro to taxes, I would have been. Oh, I definitely would have failed. But at least you can say, like, we have the information. And, like, that to me is looking out. I agree. Those things catch you way off guard. And I know, I think other adults might say, well, that's the point. You got to learn as you go. It's like, no, like, we just spent over $200,000 on school. You can give me a class and you can prepare me to, like, like that's ridiculous. Exactly. So, yes, I. Love that. I think we everyone should write that book title down. <laughs> For sure. But I love that question, Tanuke. I think that's genius. And we should ask everybody that question because the whole point of these conversations is to know what was your incentive? Like what was that impetus, that catalyst that made you switch it up if you switched it up? Or like why do you wish you did it sooner? Like what is that feeling? Because I think it's that feeling that you have to follow. And like David was saying, like you have to love it. And if you don't work at what you love, you're going to get to this point where you're really good at this thing. And then you're like, but then who am I? Like, what am I doing? Who am I doing this for? Like, what am I, am I helping someone? If that's what I want to do, do I feel good about what I'm delivering to someone? So I think it resonates big time. And Allie, when you talk about when you have the motivators or that thing, I think we can all find different motivators for our personalities. And for some people, you need to look for that person that, that believes in you, right? Or like actually thinks, and oftentimes those people are actually all around us, but in the way that we're on our one track or the way we operate based on our past traumas in life or the way we operate based on how our parents raised us, we don't always see those or acknowledge those things or acknowledge when things are actually moving in our favor because we're not used to that or we're not used to seeing those things. It's not a half glass, glass, half empty, glass, half full thing. It's kind of just like, you internally acknowledging that you're good at something or that you have some inclination towards something. Mm-hmm. And can you speak to imposter syndrome? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm still working through that stuff. That's really good. Allie, do you want to say what imposter syndrome is for anybody listening who may not know like what that means or they may have heard it in passing? Yeah. So I didn't even know what it was till literally last year. I was shooting and I got home and I called the guy I was dating at the time and I was like, I don't think I like any of my photos. Like they're terrible. I totally screwed up. Take me for this. And he's like, dude, do you realize what you're ta- like what you're saying? And he explained it to me. And essentially it's as a creative, most more than anything, you just assume your work is bad. You just assume everything you do is wrong and everyone hates it. And you assume that any success that you have attained thus far has come from external circumstances beyond what you do or your work. Oh, I just got it because of that person knew that person or right. I, mean, I got lucky with that thing or what. So yeah, and, and that's a very real thing, Allie. That, and also for anyone who's listening, that's crazy that Allie was going through imposter syndrome because I have seen her photos and they're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to that, that makes me think of something interesting. What do you guys think, and anyone listening at home or in, on the road or you guys too, when it comes to success, is it when success, do, when it comes to luck versus hard work, like how much of that do you think 
falls into it. I'm curious. That's a tough one. You can go first. I got to marinate on that a little bit. I think there are so many different ideas around luck, right? And timing and just being, you know, in the right place at the right time. And then I also think preparation is a significant part of it. And also when we think about sustenance, for me, I'm often thinking how sustainable is this thing Mm. that we are building? How sustainable is this career? Me having changed careers a few times, I'm always thinking. And how sustainable is it for your life? Can you do this for 30 years, right? I mean, that's a great thing. I think a lot about that because when I am looking at a situation, I'm like, yeah, we might have luck. We might have hard work behind us, right? That brings us to this particular opportunity. The timing has aligned and all that good stuff. But then how do we continue to make sure that this train moves forward and can maintain momentum? So I think both are essential and necessary. I think both are too. I think the hard work in part though, because oftentimes some folks will get a job and if they don't have the experience or if they don't have the refined ability yet, it might be tough for that person to still be able to do that job to the best of their ability. And that's when then, you know, negative thoughts come into play and all that. And also I think it's so important to have a good support network when that happens. I think those are two great points, David, because I think it's key to think about how hard work and how luck can align, but how you can't just rely on one or the other. So I, I saw the study maybe last month. It was about the Olympics sprinters. And when you look at sprinters, and this was in relation to luck versus success, I mean, luck versus hard work, you can say that the 15 people that are running in that, in that 100 meter sprint um, at whatever the 2008 Olympics, 2006 Olympics were, they're all hardworking people to be the best in their country, the best athletes, the fastest athletes who are at the world's biggest competition and stage. So there's no denying that everybody works hard. And when you look at the final times of the top three, even the top 10, they're all remarkable times for being the fastest people on earth. Yeah. However, there's only one person who's going to win and there's only going to be one person who will, and then beyond winning, there's, there may not even be one person who breaks a world record. Now, what is the determining factor that comes down to the person who wins versus the the people who come in second, third, fourth, all the way down to 10th? It's luck because Mm. it's the placement of where you start and the wind drafts that you're able to take. Mm. And the study showed that the person who had the world record actually had drafting and had a little bit, they had 0.2 miles per hour more of wind. And it's that little push of luck that is completely out of their control. You have no determination of where you're going to start on the starting line. You have no control over mother nature's wind drafts and wind gusts. And if you get hit with the crosswind as you're in the final leg of the race. So I guess the point of that story is just like, or that reading that study was so cool because I suddenly let go of the idea that I'm going to work as hard as I can and I'm going to do well regardless because hard work always pays off in something. But I have to also accept that other people are going to get other opportunities or beat me sometimes. And it may be some things that are completely out of my control. It may be luck, or it may be that they're just better than me. Either way, I can't spend my life obsessing over that stuff. I wonder how would you tell if you were a coach, right? Or yeah. even if you're teaching someone to do what you do now, how would you explain that to them? How would you say like, because I think professors within drama departments mm-hmm. across the country should be mastering how to say that and how to approach that discussion with their students because the idea of rejection, despite all the work and how amazing you might be, 
has to be something you accept because there's always someone that did what you did and you don't know how it's going to line up. And, you know, you can, I think of like Rocky, right? And they're yeah. training that Russian guy. Yeah, yeah, Drago. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and like that guy is thinking, well, no, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. I have to win. I have to win. And it's like, okay. So then when he doesn't win, he freaks the F out. Right. And like that's not healthy and that's not sustainable. So how do you communicate that to a student if you're a mentor? I don't know. I think, I think there has to be a level of like, first of all, just empathy and like, I get it. And as somebody who's your mentor, I still feel those things. If I was speaking to my mentee, like mm -hmm. whenever we're putting a painting, a song, a monologue, you're auditioning. I mean, creatives by psychologically on the whole are fragile people. We seek the validation of others because we didn't get enough love growing up or whatever it is, or we didn't get, we were always seeking attention and didn't get it. So our way to, to get validation now is to have people love our work. And the problem is the work and you always get blurred as this one singular thing. And that's how I've operated for the last seven years. And it's not healthy. We are not our work. We're more than our work. And I think the pandemic was a time when, I mean, suddenly I was shooting, I shot 16 commercials in 2019, 2020 rolls around. I did one job and then suddenly the world stops and I can't have crews of 75 people anymore with fancy expensive cameras. And I'm stuck with an iPhone sitting alone in my apartment. And that was a really weird moment where I didn't have any purpose. I didn't have any direction. I had no sense of what I was supposed to be doing. But anyways, going back to the failure thing, you know, like we are more than our work. And yeah. the failure is, I hate saying this because it's like, it sounds so fortune cookie or like, but it's just like <laughs> the failures teach us and you have to fail to succeed. It's true though. I know, I, like I know. But it's like, it sucks losing. I hate losing. I know. <laughs> I, know, I feel like well, I mean, no one likes losing. We all hate it. So I think it's just, the, I think the best ones are the ones who, who can acknowledge the feeling and not be in denial and then move on. Like give yourself the moment to take the L and then see how you can cut. Cause you, we all need to do that. It's just like when you have a partner, they're not always looking for a solution. They just want to be heard and understood and, and acknowledge that this hurts. And when you're dating a, a creative person, if you can last more than a few months with them, yeah, I, I mean, I feel so sorry for all my exes who had to deal with my fragile ego. <laughs> I have to, but before I forget, you said not having attention or being heard before as a creative. Do you really think that that's something a lot of creatives share, that they become one because they weren't felt or heard before in a, earlier in their life? I mean, I, yeah, I obviously spoke very generically there, but for me and my experiences, once I started going to therapy last year was the first time I went in my entire life. And I started to understand that there's reasons why we crave attention on social media. There's reasons why we crave attention in the real world. And some people get it platonically through their friends. Some people need it romantically through having a lot of partners. And some people do it professionally with their work. And understanding the motivators isn't so much like you're doing this wrong and it's wrong that you've been operating this way. It's, it's just like understanding yourself a little better. And I think just getting to know yourself is important because it helps you understand where you're going and what you're doing. And this year with the pandemic was by no means a good thing. But when you look at the time that you've had, and we've all had, if you're privileged enough to be, not have to worry about money necessarily for a few months or to have the roof over your head, then you could use the time to explore you know, you know, new hobbies or you could take the time to have self-reflection and look at your routine and are you really happy in what you're doing now, who you're with. But by no means this pandemic has been awful. It's just like 
I think we all try to seek like a little bit of a, a little light at the end of the tunnel. And that was my light was just taking the time to reexamine and figure out what it is that I wanted, which I never, I've always said I never had the time for before. Mm. But the imposter syndrome thing, I want to go back to that because that's something that I definitely would say for the last two years. And even now I get nervous. I used to get nervous that people would find out that I didn't go to film school or that I'd only been directing for four years now. And that used to be a big fear of mine. But, and then I, this year, I, there's something weird happened. I just started to own it and be like, you know, I don't know what the fancy camera term is, but I'm going to tell you to boom down or, you know, pan left. (laughs) And as long as the DP knew what I was saying or that the crew knew what I was saying and I had them on my side, I realized I was ignoring the core skills I always spent my time on, which was connecting with people and motivating people to be their best and to create something that they didn't think they could. And when I stopped worrying about the fact that I didn't know film school terms or that I didn't know how to operate a camera and I could instead just articulate my vision to others and inspire them with words and my energy and my enthusiasm, then I was a lot happier because the pressure was off and I didn't have to, I didn't have imposter syndrome anymore because I wasn't trying to be somebody else. I was just doing me and, and just do it is just acting how I am. Like, back in Groovesand, being the president and talking about like the songs we were going to arrange and, and the concerts we were going to book and the recording sessions. And now I just had to just own that again and get back to that. And because that's when I was my most happiest in school was when I was with you guys. And at the heart, we're just making cool stuff with my friends now just on a bigger stage or, and for a brand versus an acapella group, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That literally encompasses like everything we Tanuki agree. Tell me if I'm wrong, but like what he just said literally sums up why we started this podcast. Yes. Because <laughs> you realize, and it was not when you first did school, when you first finished school, you realize what your actual strengths were. And those strengths are your skills and you're using them without memorizing some book of terms. Oh, and I think it's incredible. I think that's the whole point of being who you are and why you're different than the person sitting next to you. We built different. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think you touched on a lot of great points, Dima. I think there's this one point where you mentioned disliking losing. And I kind of want to like go back to obstacles and stuff. Mm. I think when we see the edited, filtered, finished, perfect Instagram picture that, (laughs) (laughs) that any of us is creating, you know what I mean? Maybe, and for younger listeners who have grown up where social media has always been a thing, from the second you wake up having your cell phone next to you to the second you go to sleep, I think there's this belief that this is, you know, the way life should look. Right, right. How have you bounced back from your obstacles? I think it's just understanding that there's a balance to everything. And that, I mean, and just to give you guys, I've been fired from my first advertising job. I was fired from Droga because I wasn't able to work. And that was a really hard thing for me. I took that really, really personally. You know, I've been let go from things before and it's really hard when that happens. And now when I lose a pitch, I'm like, I honestly don't mind. I mean, I don't, I, not that I don't mind. I, we put a lot. So in, for anyone who doesn't know, when as a commercial director, when I get storyboards from a brand, I have to pitch that brand against a lot of other directors. And I have to draw my storyboards. I have to create this 60 page pitch deck. I've sent them to Tanuke at five in the morning being like, what do you think of this? Tyson chicken pitch deck. I'm cracked out on panko crumbs right now. (laughs) And it is that we invest so much of our time and our energy into making these pitches, but we lose. I used to get bent out of shape, but 
now I have just have so much security that if it's not this one, there'll be, there's 10 other things out there in the world for me. And that only came this year once I realized that the gaps in between the work are okay. The work is going to ebb and flow or it can, it can flow the whole time. It's whatever you want it to be. So once I stopped acting like this job was the only job or this thing was the only chance I would have, losses became much more stomachable and to the point where I was like acknowledging the loss, but I was like, oh man, but that was pretty cool because I met this great production designer and that shoot, it's not going to go my reel, but man, I'm going to keep that kid close. He's awesome or she's awesome. And the other thing is to not worry about time either. There's a quote by, uh, I think it's Golda Meir, and she says, I must govern the clock, not be governed by it. And mm. I've always lived by that. Like, yeah, as you know, like I work when I feel inspired. I work till five in the morning. I don't start till midnight sometimes. Or I'll work all day and we're all night, or I'll work nothing at all during the day. You have to truly rule your own schedule. If you are a creative and you're a freelancer, your clock is your own. The jobs that you choose are your own. We have to take some jobs for money to pay bills and stuff. But at the ultimate end of the day, you can decide what you want to work on and who you want to work with. You build your own teams and you decide the brands. If someone's mean, don't work with them because you don't have to. Yeah. But with the clock thing, going back to that, I mean, there's, we all feel like there's an expiration date and there's no time for us to do anything. And I think we don't really figure, Ali, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but when we're graduating, we have this set major that we've had for the last four years. And we're expected to go do that thing. And if we don't do that thing in a certain amount of time, then people say we're behind. Instagram makes us feel like we're behind because we don't have babies, we're not getting married, or we don't buy a house. And the fact is, it's like your journey's your own and the clock you set, that is your own. So don't get too obsessed with the timelines. I'm happy I didn't discover directing until I was 30 years old. I did not have the maturity. I did not have the art knowledge. I did not have the communication to be able to sell my crazy film ideas through. And it would have all been wasted had I gone too early. So I'm grateful that life kind of brought me here and then over there. And now I'm back here and I'm still working with the people in advertising, but I'm meeting new people and doing the thing that drives me and keeps me up at night. So just don't worry about the clock at all. That's so real. I mean, I totally, I mean, I feel the same thing. I get freaked out that I'm not going to have work because in our position, we have to go find the money. We have yeah. to go get. There's luxury in a schedule like Tanuke, who knows what she's doing, where she's going. But at the same sure. time, she wants, and I don't want to speak for you that you can jump in Tanuke, but like you want to make time for the more creative stuff, you know? And so, yeah. or the other things. So yeah, I'm pretty much agreeing with David on that one. But yeah, it's, it's discipline, but you also, it's timing, I guess. It, the timing in your life. Like you said, if this happened to you when you first graduated, maybe you would have been fired from that and then freaked out and then not have had this opportunity down the line to do it as well as you're doing it. Who knows? Or it would have been better. I should have got my shit together sooner. I don't know. <laughs> I think about that all the time. We'll never I know. Just... <laughs> <laughs> do you think there's an actual, like a specific obstacle in if you had to pinpoint a time that you learned more than another time? Like, was it when you lost that job that you're like, oh my gosh, and learned a ton about yourself? Or was there another challenge you feel like you've overcome that got you where you are? Well, thinking back, I'm not sure if, if it's a lot of public knowledge, maybe to my friends, but when I was 12, my sister and I lost our mom. That was a time where 
I mean, it was just utter confusion, angsty teenage feelings, awkward teenager, <laughs> not knowing where he is in the world and who is going to take care of him kind of kind of thing. And I bring this up because not to say that when I look at comparison to a, losing a job, to losing a parent, I can handle anything. It's not so much that. It's, it's the idea that I got through that and that was really hard. And I'm still working through a lot of that stuff in therapy now. And I guess I've just looked at things like, well, I got through that. So the next thing I do, I mistakenly thought that because I got through something hard when I was younger, that I could do, get through any kind of loss without any kind of pain or sadness or questioning of my abilities. Cause I figured I went through the hardest thing I'd ever go through. And, but what I realized is that everything is so circumstantial and situational, like of course, when I was younger and I lost my mom, that was my world. Like she was the only woman that I knew other than my sister. But now when I'm like in this thing and I'm like, oh, this is really hard in this moment, it feels crazy because I've never been four hours overtime on a set before and I'm freaking out. And I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I think what I'm trying to say is that just because you went through crazy shit when you were younger or you went through some crazy shit last week doesn't mean that life is going to let up or that it's going to get any easier because you went through something hard. The trick is to understand and to really um, post-mortem that, that situation and figure out what went wrong, what was in your control, what wasn't, and then take a little something from that if you can and if you're in the headspace to do that. And if your only headspace is to be sad about that thing or that person or that relationship, then go do that because that's all you're physically able, mentally able to do in that moment. And we beat ourselves up a lot for that, for like, for being weak. And it's like, even this year, like we're in a global pandemic. So like Mm. ease up, like things are okay. If you can't, you don't feel like posting or you don't feel like jumping on that 83rd zoom call to talk about the PowerPoint, then (laughs) it's okay. Like you're a human being and it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really hard. You shine a light on something. And Allie and I kind of like talk about this a lot. And just just thanks for being so open and revealing about things that you're going through emotionally, family-wise. You know what I mean? A lot yeah, of people yeah. go on a podcast and say cookie-cutter responses. You shine a light on something Allie and I talk about and touch on when it comes to giving yourself grace. And we are in a pandemic and this year has had so many unpredictable twists and turns. And I think that's such a great point to bring up. So many people I know are frustrated about so many uncontrollable circumstances (laughs) Mm -hmm. that being able to say, okay, I can't control this or I can't adjust or change this because I'm physically not able to do that right now. Yeah, I just think it's it's important to remember that that's a big part of the journey and a big part of whether it's finding a new job or moving to a new location or bouncing back from a really difficult loss. Just giving one's self and having extending that grace to the people around you mm-hmm. is just really key. And I think it's it's great that you brought that up. You're so right. Yeah. No. And I like that you said the people around you because so much of who we are is the people that are around us. So you don't want to alienate your home team. You choose them. I think we don't even know we're choosing the people around us, the people we need to keep in our lives, I think speak volumes and are a testament to who we are. And because those relationships turn into sometimes work, they turn into bigger relationships that 
you could connect with someone that you never knew you would because you kept in touch with whoever that person is. And it's very easy to get frustrated when you meet somebody who they had no issues in the pandemic, their job just went remote. It was not a big deal. They're just complaining that they're bored. And you're just like, oh my gosh, you're just bored. I lost like four of my gigs. Like what do you, you have to understand like their lifestyle is still their lifestyle. And it's not really up to us to say that that's easier or harder. Like we have, we never know what someone else is going through. And mm. to echo what the new case point was like, just give the grace, walk with grace, give it, share it. And it's like, whatever happens will happen the way it's supposed to happen. And for a lot of people who are listening, who may be artists or freelancers, similar to Ali and mine's kind of vocation, I think something to remember is take the good news with a grain of salt. I mean, when you hear somebody saying like, I'm so bored because I'm stuck in this job nine to five. I mean, because like I'm stuck at home and I, my, what we take away is that they have a regular job, they're getting regular income right. and they're just bored. <laughs> but that bored yeah. thing is a big thing because think about the, they were bored in their nine. Some people may have been bored in their nine to five before this pandemic happened. And now they're even more bored at home, but you're building I'm speaking to you creatives out there, like you guys are building something special. You're building something unique that's your own and you're driving and you're, you're going with your passion. So it may seem on surface that, that we're in it and things suck right now and that people with nine to fives may have it easier and your parents may be shoving that in your face right now saying, well, look at Timmy and look at your older sister. Look what she's doing. You know what you're doing. Yeah. It'll even out in the end. Totally agree. Perfect. I feel like we could maybe talk about where to find your work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm on TikTok at David W. Ma. Same on Instagram. And my website is davidmafilms.com where you can see a lot of my commercials. Usually on social media, I share a lot of my behind the scenes and also my tips for how I went from doing one thing to doing another. I believe in sharing that knowledge. And that's why I'm on the podcast today. Like talking to these guys about all this stuff is because never really had a book to read or a YouTube video to watch. When I made these decisions, I was kind of just going off of my gut. And one thing I would say too, for people listening, I would really urge you to find little words and they can be short things, but anything that, that makes you just, huh, or you have a, a list of quotes in your arsenal for when you're a little bit not motivated or when you're down. Like I have the speech that I listened to from Steve Jobs when he was talking about passion and also looking at the people who have done it before you and figuring out as much as you can about what they did, not so you can emulate, but so you can take a little bit from each one and kind of figure out what your direction is going to be and what your path's going to be for that. I also would say that what you just said, you just go to the next thing. There is a lot to be taken from that lesson. I mean, it's like, like some people will be paralyzed by over planning and by inaction. There's a quote that I had by, uh, I pulled it up for this podcast, but it's by Amelia Earhart. She says, the most effective way to do it is to do it. You can spend so many ways thinking of the approach, but if you don't just start editing, if you don't just start recording, if you don't just start performing, you will literally be paralyzed and find yourself three years later still talking about that idea that you have. And that's kind of the big difference is between like the people who are talkers and the people who who do things and are makers is they just go out and do it. And that comes to, with comfort and being rejected. That comes with the, the courage to be disliked. That comes with a confidence in yourself and acknowledging the people around you who are willing to help you, even if they don't necessarily know how to do that thing exactly. Right, right. That's so, so, so true. 
I think, again, it, like the beauties in the lesson you're learning. Like you went in not knowing what a gaffer was, which is hysterical. Like I remember that moment when I realized what a gaffer was too. That's and like hire them. And it was like, oh, you don't fake it. You just, you ask. You, I almost want to say a new friend would be asked till you make it. Like, I don't love just that. Fake. Or just say you don't know and you'll figure it out. Yes, because you're there and you give a shit. You know what I mean? Like people just want you to give a shit and be and show up. You got to show up. Guys, she told me not to swear before the podcast. I, I just want you to know that I'm I'm matching the energy in the room. I did not start this potty mouthiness. It was all me. I'll take all the blame. I have a total crap mouth. I know I do. Makes you real, Allie. Oh, thank you. I hope so. If you'd like to re-listen or hear more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes under the name Angled Podcast. You can follow us and get in touch with us on Instagram as well. Our handle is at Angled Podcast. Thank you so much. See you next time. What's your angle?